for tuning in to another episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, we're back in Buffalo, New York. The 716, no longer in Cleveland. Happy to say it, happy to hear it, happy to feel it. Uh, I'm done. I'm, I'm enjoying my little hiatus from school. Uh, I was just actually uh, taking driving lessons and I saw something very interesting. Uh, I saw a kid, probably around my age, he's probably like 18 to 20. Let's say he's 18 to 20, around my age, right? And he's brushing his teeth and his boxers outside, right? A little weird, right? Especially considering that uh, I live in Buffalo, New York, and it's December. So it's not necessarily the weather you would expect. Uh, it's, it's not short weather. Uh, short uh, weather, let alone uh, boxer uh, <laughs> weather, boxer weather, butt naked with only your boxers on, brushing your teeth, and then he started doing push-ups. So then the guy I was in the car with us, he must be trying to impress a, uh, impress a lady, but he's like, when I was his age, I would have never done that to try to impress a lady. And I just, <laughs> I, was, I thought the whole thing was uh, funny. And then I saw somebody that parked on the curve parked on the curve, so that was a little interesting too, but uh, needless to say, what we have for you today, we're going to have Ben Karen, host of the Sports Squabble Podcast, going to talk a lot of uh, college football with Ben, going to talk about Oklahoma, uh, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, all that, we're going to have the college football playoffs happening in just about a week soon, right, Christmas, New Year's, it's the holiday season, so we're going to talk about that with Ben Karen, host of the Sports Squabble Podcast, also with Ben, going to talk about, since Ben He's come from the Massachusetts, New England area. Going to talk about uh, Spygate Part 2, the New England Patriots uh, videotaping the Cincinnati Bengals, the history of cheating with Tom Brady, Bill Belichick. Does that still make them the GOAT? You're going to really be interested to hear what Ben Karen has to say about that. But here's where I want to start, right? Uh, one of the, these, one of these uh, and I always love Christmas Day, right, because it's like, all for all sports, right? For July 4th, that's kind of like baseball's day, right? For Thanksgiving, that's the NFL's day. Christmas, it's the NBA's day, right? Everybody's going to be watching basketball for Christmas, NBA. And the matchup that I'm really looking forward to, right, Los Angeles Clippers versus Los Angeles Lakers. Now, not only am I really interested about this, because there's a lot riding on this, uh, bragging rights with a lot of friends that I have, including Silas Garrison, who's he believes the Lakers are going to win the championship. I believe that the Clippers will win the championship. He thinks LeBron's the best player in the NBA. I think Kawhi's the best player in the NBA. We seem to differ on that. But this is also very important because this is one of the most anticipated and, and one of the most favorite Christmas Day matchups I've looked forward to probably since I've been watching basketball. Really the only one I can think of that's really kind of peak this type of enjoyment and excitement out of me is probably when the Lakers were playing the Cavaliers. Let's go back to like 2010 when Kobe Bryant and his Los Angeles Lakers were facing LeBron James and his Cleveland Cavaliers. That's probably the last time I felt this type of anticipation, this type of excitement, right? And now it's like fast forward almost a decade later, you have Kawhi Leonard versus LeBron James. Uh, you have two guys that have won championships, two guys that are considered top uh, three players universally in the world, right? People will say LeBron, Giannis, or Kawhi. It's like, uh, pick, pick your choice. Uh, two guys, LA market, rivals now, Clippers versus Lakers, Paul George versus Anthony Davis, Frank Vogel versus Doc Rivers. There's so much. And I think this match was going to go a long way to deciding, first of all, who do we think is going to be the best team in the NBA, right? Lakers or Clippers? We know Kawhi Leonard, he's been load managing. Uh, he's not going to load manage when, uh, at least I hope so, he's going to play on Christmas Day. So I think we're going to get to see that matchup. Kawhi versus LeBron, I think that's the matchup I want to see. It's the matchup you want to see. It's the matchup that the world at large wants to see. So I'm really excited for that. I have Clippers, by the way. I think they're going to win in Staples Center. I think they're going to make a statement. Now, next what I want to talk about. Everybody's talking about the Bucks, right? Giannis, after they uh, 
blew out the Lakers, right? He starts, he makes a dunk and he starts pointing to his head. He starts pointing to his head like, I got the crown, I got next. And, and I thought it was really interesting, right? And I want everybody to, to be careful about this. Right? I know Giannis, is, he's the new flavor. He, he's what's hot in town. He's, uh, Jalen Rose was talking about this. He's if Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant had a baby, right? And that's exactly what Giannis is. Like a freak of nature, seven feet, can handle the ball. Uh, a freak of nature, athletically. And the Milwaukee Bucks are very good. He has a very good supporting cast with guys like Eric Bledsoe, um, DiVincenzo, Chris Middleton. But here's what I will say, and here's what I tell people this all the time. And talking about, right, LeBron and uh, Kobe, what I, like I was just talking about. These Milwaukee Bucks, they remind me exactly, exactly, of LeBron James' Cleveland Cavaliers, 09-010, when they won 60-plus uh, uh, games. LeBron was a back-to-back -back MVP. LeBron was like 24-25 before he went to Miami. The first go-around in Cleveland. At the end of the first go-around in Cleveland, when LeBron had guys like Antoine Jameson, Mo Williams, J.J. Hicks, and those guys. Now, I think Giannis' supporting cast is a little bit better than that. Right, Chris Middleton's better than Antoine Jameson. But I think they're all in proximate value. And I, and I think that it's kind of the same team. A great superstar filled with a bunch of very good players uh, with a solid coach. And I think that's what it is. And that's what I would tell people to watch for, right? As much as people are saying right now, the Bucks blew out the Lakers, Giannis dominated. The Cavaliers blew out the Lakers on Christmas Day when LeBron James came in with Mo Williams and blew out a Lakers team with Pal Gasol, Andrew Bynum, and Lamar Odom, and Kobe Bryant, and Phil Jackson as their head coach. And you want to know what happened? LeBron James lost in six games to the Boston Celtics. And then he took off his shirt, and you looked at him, and you're like, damn, he's never coming back to Cleveland again. And he had four straight years in Miami. Then he actually went back to Cleveland. So before we all get too caught up, Milwaukee Bucks, right? Giannis hit six threes. You think Giannis is going to hit six threes in the postseason? Giannis isn't a shooter. And you want to know what? And I think some, lots of people have mentioned this, like Rick Buecher. You want Giannis shooting threes. You want Giannis shooting threes. You will take that and you will die by it. If Giannis can make threes, you know what you do at the end of the game? You shake his hand, pat him on the butt and say, man, what a hell of a game. But do you really think Giannis is going to keep making threes, six threes a game? You saw how he got exposed against the Toronto Raptors when Kawhi and the Toronto Raptors just played off him and just let him shoot brick after brick after brick. And that's how the Toronto Raptors won four straight games to come back from down 2-0. So just be careful about the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, cut them next. After the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Ben Karen host the Sports Squabbler podcast on the show. Cut them next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Ben Karen, host of the Sports Squabbler podcast, on the show. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing great, Daryl. It's always a pleasure to be here, man. Now, now, Ben, I have to talk to you about a little NFL first. Uh, you do know the New England Patriots very well from the New England area. You've got to been around the mystique of the Patriots. There have been allegations that the Patriots are cheating once again. Uh, videotaping the Cincinnati Bengals for, I believe, eight minutes. What are your thoughts of the whole situation? Are the Patriots what I think they are and what most America thinks they are? Cheaters. Well, I've always uh, felt that way since the first scandal happened. I, I think that we just, at this point in time, where there's smoke, there's fire. This isn't... The first time they've been accused of it, there was Spygate, there was Deflategate. This is the next thing in line. But I gotta ask, Daryl, why on earth do you need to cheat to beat the Cincinnati Bengals? I'm trying to get a competitive edge, tendency. Yeah, well, I just, I believe that they are 
likely responsible for it. I don't think they're going to get a lot of sympathy uh, from NFL fans uh, nationwide on this. Dude, what do you think the punishment should be for Bill Belichick? I've heard people say Bill Belichick should be removed from the NFL. I've heard people say Bill Belichick should be suspended. The Patriots should lose a draft pick. What should be the Patriots' punishment? Well, at this point in time, I don't know if they're going to have enough evidence to directly tie Bill Belichick to the latest scandal. If they don't have enough evidence, then obviously they can't suspend him. That wouldn't make sense. I would consider penalizing them uh, with a draft pick, though, for sure. I think I'd, I'd hit them pretty hard. I'd probably hit them with a second-round draft pick. Now, do you think when we always talk about the Patriots, uh, we always talk about their attention to detail, how successful they've been. Six Super Bowls, nine Super Bowl appearances, multiple uh, AFC Championship appearances. Uh, do you think that cheating, because I think we all assume they still cheat, is the reason they're so successful? Is it not Brady? Is it not Belichick? Is it not Robert Kraft? Is it the fact that they cheat and they, you know, skirt the line? Is that why they're so successful? Well... I think at this point in time, it's part of the reason. I, it's certainly a factor. I still think Belichick is one of the greatest football coaches, you know, if not the best uh, to ever coach in the NFL. Same can be said about Tom Brady as far as quarterback play goes. You know, and I, and, and, and I do hear the, the arguments from, from New England Patriots fans when they're talking about the play gate a number of years ago. Um, I think New England would have won that football game against the Colts regardless of the play gate. And I think they win a lot of games, you know, regardless of whether they cheated or not. However, you know, when you have so much success the way they have, it's unfortunate, you know, these kind of questions are going to keep popping up, especially as the allegations continue to flood in. Right now, well, and I want to know, because I've always wanted your opinion on this, Ben, what was worse, the flag gate or spy gate? The spy gate was most definitely worse. And, and just for people out there who don't know, just talk about and because Spygate is similar to this situation right now, videotaping the Cincinnati Bengals, just talk about how devious uh, Spygate was, you know, taping the signals of teams from the Rams to the Panthers to I even believe the Eagles. Talk about what Spygate was for people out there who might not know. Well, New England had just come off of kind of their very, their very first run of success, um, right in that uh, period of time in, in the early 2000s and allegations start creeping up about Spygate, about how they've been out there and they have been basically sur surveilling other football teams and, and trying to, you know, understand all their signs and things like that. And I lived in Vermont at the time that this, this happened and these allegations came out. And to be quite honest with you, I think I was pretty sheltered from it. Um, up there in that New England culture, the Patriots basically are the team um, of the vast majority of people. Uh, so, you know, I think it got um, swept under the rug a little bit as far as the overall impact goes. And what I remember about it, uh, just my personal history. But, you know, I think it in a lot of ways was the first time that I can ever recall as an NFL fan that a team had such a claim placed against them or such an ac accusation. I cannot remember any other time where so blatantly a team got accused and eventually, um, you know, was proven that they had, had done that. And and essentially cheated. And I think from that point on, uh, it made even your your just regular run-of-the-mill NFL fan more suspicious um, every time 
that they saw a team being successful from that point on. And I think that level of suspicion has stuck with us even into the present time. Does taping a team signals, does the videotaping a team signals, does that even give you a competitive advantage? Oh, I definitely think it gives a competitive advantage. When you know the signals and you can figure out the plays ahead of time, you know, you know what to prepare for. How can we call Bill Belichick and Tom Brady the greatest ever when they've had to resort to cheating? Yes, and, and I I still think there's going to be plenty of people, regardless of what happens with this latest scandal and the other scandals, that, that are going to continue to claim that Belichick and Brady were the greatest of all time. At this point, with six Super Bowls, it's not even really that close. Um, but the unfortunate thing for them is I still think that they would have been highly successful even if New England had not engaged in those cheating activities. I think now, because it's been proven that they have, it is going to allow the door to be open and people to say, well, some of these records and some of these accomplishments um, that New England has put together over the years, you know, maybe they should have an asterisk next to them. When in reality, uh, you know, New England's clearly been better than some of the teams that uh, they've beaten in the Super Bowl. You know, I mean, Atlanta melted down a couple of years ago. That wasn't cheating on New England's part. You know, that was a complete meltdown by Atlanta. New England there to take advantage of that. So, so can be set when they played the Seahawks. So if we look at everything from its totality, all the success. How many rings do the Patriots have without Spygate and Deflategate and all the other allegations? How many rings do they have? Well, I still think they get the ones against the Seahawks and the Falcons, and quite honestly, uh, they dominated the Rams as well in this latest one. So I'd give them all three of those. And then they had played the Rams, the Panthers, and the Eagles all very close in the early 2000s. And I would say, you know, let's assume that they might have been cheating at that point in time, and maybe um, had they not cheated, they you know, would have lost one of those games. So I would say five Super Bowls instead of six. Now, here's my question, and I also want to say this. I think it's easy to assume they could have lost to the greatest show on turf Rams because they shut down that electric Rams offense, so maybe they don't shut it down if they don't know the signals. I think that's rational, right? But here's my question, right? You say they still, in all likelihood, win five rings instead of six. In most people's minds, that makes them the GOAT still. Uh, both of them, both Belichick and Brady. So here's my question. Is cheating worth it? If that gets you one more Super Bowl, if you can get a Super Bowl by cheating, is it worth it? If you can do that. Well, I don't, you know, ever condone cheating. So I would say, no, it's not worth it. You know, I, I would rather, for me personally, and for me as a fan of the game, I'd rather have a team I go about things the honest route and lose as opposed to cheat and win. How, how do New England fans still support the team through all the cheating? Ben, you're from Vermont. You're from New England. Tell me, please. Well, I mean, it just it, it, it starts with, uh, with with you know ultimate denial. Um, nobody nobody up there ever thinks that they were guilty of Spygate uh, or Deflategate. I'm sure it's going to be that way this time around. They're just denying, denying, denying. Um, you know, always claim, oh, you know, it was science for the Flategate. It was this, it was that, you know. Um, so I, I truly think in their hearts, a lot of those fans just don't believe it. Um, and I think they try really hard to not believe it. it you, I, I almost believe for some of them, too, um, they're such zealot fans that you can almost show them um, undeniable evidence, and they would... <laughs> And they would still uh, refuse to accept it. 
Now, Ben, I want to get to college football. That's your domain. That's your thing. LSU tops Ohio State for number one for the number number one seed in the college football playoffs. Right or wrong? Tell me what you think, Ben. It's a tough call. Um, I'm going to go with wrong. Why? Ohio State has just been so impressive. I don't think you can justify not putting them at number one. When you look at everything, they have taken down every opponent, every rival, by double-digit points all season long. You can't ask for more out of a team than that. When you look at their schedule next to LSU's schedule, they've both played around the same amount of ranked opponents. LSU played pretty well, you know. I think that it could kind of go either way. But when I look at a couple of their games, you know, it it was tight against Alabama. It was a three-point game against Auburn. Ohio State didn't have any of those concerns. They looked a little bit shaky versus Wisconsin until the second half on Saturday. But they still managed to bounce back and win by double digits. I think the fact that they looked shaky in that first half is actually what um, what caused them to go down in the rankings and caused LSU to elevate past them. LSU did a number on Georgia as well, which helped their case. Now, now here's been where I would push back and say LSU should be number one. LSU's in the toughest conference in college football. We have to admit that. They're in the toughest division, SEC West. They beat Alabama in Bryant-Denny Stadium, which isn't easy, and that's probably tougher than any opponent Ohio State has faced all year. They blew out Georgia, which is probably tougher than any opponent Ohio State has faced all year. So, why shouldn't they be the number one team? They beat the best. They beat the best two teams. They beat two teams better than any team Ohio State has faced all year. Well, I'm going to disagree with the premise there. First of all, I'm not sold that Auburn, you know, isn't better. Well, let me let me back up. I'm sorry about that. So as far as the Alabama win goes, I'll give them that. I think the Alabama win is more impressive than anything Ohio State did this year. In Alabama. Georgia is, in my opinion right now, a drastically overrated football team. I I personally right now, I kind of like Penn State a little bit more than Georgia. I think uh, Wisconsin you know, might might be on equal ground with, with Georgia. Um, I don't see Georgia as being head and shoulders above teams like Michigan, Penn State, and Wisconsin at, at this moment. I mean, Georgia beat Texas A&M by six points. And Texas A&M, even though I'm a fan, you know, that's, that's not an overwhelming victory by any stretch of the imagination. A lot of times this year, Georgia's offense has looked um, like they're in shambles. So when, when you look at it that way, I, LSU has the most impressive win, yes, but I think when you total up all the wins, I like Ohio State's overall resume a little bit more. When I'm seeing that they beat Wisconsin twice, they beat Michigan at Michigan, by the way, beat Penn State. They just destroyed and dismantled Cincinnati. I like what I've seen out of the Buckeyes. Now, just talk about the play of Joe Burrow. I mean, the, the way he looked. And all likely, everybody's been saying this, he will be the Heisman winner. Have you ever seen a jump from one year to the next. Like, just the progression. This guy goes from being a backup quarterback at Ohio State to a mediocre quarterback last year to the best quarterback in the nation this year. Have you ever seen a progression like this, Ben? I have not. It's it's truly remarkable, Daryl. And, and I know that I was one of those people that um, was skeptic of Bill Burrow. 
And, and uh, to be honest with you, I'm still a little bit of a skeptic, but at this point in time, with the body of work that he's managed to do, I think he's almost a lock to, to win the Heisman Trophy, and I think he deserves it. You know, I don't think there's any uh, individual player that's, that's played better in the entire country this year than him. And the thing that I will say about Burrow, though, is that, that makes me nervous is I wonder a lot of times, is it truly his level of talent or is it the fact that LSU has so much talent on the offensive side of the football? When you look at their team, Daryl, they've got three wide receivers that are probably heading to the NFL. They have Randy Moss's son playing tight end. He'll probably be headed to the NFL. And they've got a pretty good stable of running backs, too, as well as a good offensive line. I'm not taking anything away from Joe Burrow, but I am telling you, the shelves are stocked on the offensive side of the football for LSU, and I think they put him in an excellent situation this year. Now, now Ben, I want your opinion on this because you're a college football fan, and, and I just realized this. What do you think it says about college football that we have Justin Fields, a transfer from Georgia to Ohio State, Joe Burrow, a transfer from Ohio State to LSU, and Jalen Hurts, a transfer from Alabama to Oklahoma, all three Heisman finalists. What does that say to you about college football? Well, it tells me that it's more fluid now than it might have ever been in the past. With the rule changes and the transfer portal, it's telling me the teams aren't winning and losing with a recruitment of players directly out of high school. It's also telling me that the balance of talent from some teams to other teams is uh, there, there's it, it's tremendously uneven. So I think some teams you're seeing they're they're stocking up, they're getting three quarterbacks, you know, and and then. One quarterback starts, the other guys don't want to sit and wait their turn to come up, so they transfer to another team where that team will give them a shot immediately. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, to me, I personally think that um, it makes college football a lot better. I know that there are a lot of uh, fans out there this season, including myself. You know, we're rooting for Jalen Hurts. He seems like a good, you know, it's nice to see him get a chance and have some success in Oklahoma. So I think it's great for the players. I think it's great for college football. It's great for the fans. I'm I'm not for it. Now, Ben. Right, LSU's the number one seed, so that means Ohio State's the number two seed, and that means Ohio State earns... The defending national champions who have won 28 straight games, the Clemson Tigers led by Dabo Sweeney and Trevor Lawrence. How bad is it that Ohio State's going to get a pissed off Clemson team looking for redemption because they felt they have been disrespected? How dangerous of a game is this going to be for Ohio State? Uh, It's extremely dangerous. It's so dangerous that it's like you're at the beach and you can see the sharks swimming and circling out there in the water, man. (laughs) I'll even go as far to say this. As much as Ohio State has accomplished this season, as much as I feel they should be the number one seed, this is the worst case scenario for for Buckeye Nation out there. Because these guys, I believe that they are going to take it to Ohio State. They are no joke. We, we, we've seen their track record. We know what they're capable of. Dismantled Alabama in the championship game last year. And I don't even know how anybody could see them as underdogs. I'm taking them as the favorite to actually beat Ohio State. Do you think you can pretend? I think that good. I, I'm not... I'm not even going to be surprised by it. I, I kind of like Ohio State as a fan, and that game is going to be happening just down the street at uh, State Farm Stadium in Glendale. And after the last massacre between Ohio State and Clemson that I went to a couple years ago, <laughs> I'm going to show up and get a ticket 
You remember that New Year's massacre? You remember that New Year's massacre, Ben? I remember that watching that on TV, Ben. <laughs> I don't know. I still get nightmares about it. <laughs> that uh, that 41-0 butt kicking that Urban Myers Buckeyes took was unlike anything else I'd ever seen out of an Urban Myers football team. And I believe that year, Deshaun Watson and them ended up beating Alabama too. So that Clemson team ended up being very special. Uh, do you think, though, too, that Clemson has been disrespected in the rankings? Because let's be honest, you know, I, I you could kind of compare this with Clemson to like an NBA team. They sleepwalk through the regular season. They heat it up in the postseason. Uh, Clemson's already proven. They're already defending national champions. They get up to play. They play to the level of their competition. When they want to play, you see Virginia. When they don't want to play, they have semi-close games, like the one against North Carolina earlier in the season. Do you think that the committee should take into account more that, you know, Clemson's kind of sleepwalking and that they're at the level of LSU and at the level of Ohio State? Well... I'll start with the first question. Do I think they've been disrespected? No. Because the the committee still saw them as worthy of being in the playoffs. And the committee, and I know Pat Feinbaum has really been hitting this hard uh, on ESPN. He's right in the sense that they don't play anybody during the year. You know, I think probably um, Texas A&M, you know, South Carolina, those were some of the bigger wins that they had all season. So, you know, those aren't bad teams necessarily, but, you know, they're not especially great teams either. Um, I think that the committee should take into account some of the history, when, especially when you're looking at it, and Trevor Lawrence is still there. The same guy that led the Tigers to the championship last year. He's still there. He's still the leader on the offensive side of the football. They have a lot of returning players. I think you almost have to give them credit where it's due. Now, and it's also interesting, too, that we say this. Uh, Clemson, right? Uh, they're undefeated. LSU's undefeated. Ohio State's undefeated. If the BCS was still in play, one of those two teams would be out the playoffs. Do you think this is a signal that the college football playoffs has been a good thing? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that the college football playoffs is perfect with four teams. It's certainly conceivable that in a given year, you might have three teams from Power 5 conferences that wind up undefeated. You know, and then that kind of leaves a little bit of fun and discussion and debate over who that fourth team should be. Uh, this year, I felt like there wasn't a whole lot of that. I mean, when Utah failed to show up on Friday night, and Oklahoma was able to take take um, take that game in the Big Ten and win it, and Georgia lost. You know, things are pretty clear. I think that we're at the perfect number right now. My concern would be if we expand to eight, to an eight-game playoff or an eight-team playoff, I think that that would be bad. And I think we'd start getting a lot of mediocre teams making it in, and I think that that would in turn lead to a less entertaining product for fans and more chances for players to get hurt. Well, we, we get to see UCF in the playoffs. Well, <laughs> understand when, when, when we're having discussions like this, I mean, we're talking about legitimate football teams from Power 5 conferences. <laughs> okay, Ben. Okay, Ben. I, I, I understand you, Ben. You're not, you're not, you don't root for the little guys. You're a peck. You're a, you're a Power 5 man at heart. I understand, Ben. So I just, I can't sit here and tell you that I endorse this whole thing that the UCF trying to sell about how it's really a power, power six, you know, and, and I think that, you know, even though I've been hard on those guys and they had a couple of really exceptional seasons, you know, I, the test of time has kind of proven me right on this, Daryl, because where is UCF this year? 
nobody's talking about them. They, they took a couple losses this year. And, you know, I'm sure they're going to wind up in a bowl game playing somebody. But, you know, there's no nobody down there, at least to my knowledge, is now claiming they're, they're the national champions or anything else. If they're claiming that they're kind of just so far superior to the rest of their division, you know, then, then what's going on? I mean, why why aren't they going undefeated? Why are they losing to teams like Pittsburgh, who's a pretty you know, mediocre um, Power 5 uh, team? Now, Ben, what are the chances Oklahoma upsets LSU? I'm going to go with about 3% chance. Now, 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 Ben, you do realize that Jalen Hurts is undefeated against LSU. I realize it, but I'm telling you, I mean, 3%. That's, that's what I give them. I think that um, I think that LSU, LSU just has an offense that Oklahoma is not going to be able to stop. And I, I like the Tigers' defense to get a few stops against uh, an Oklahoma Sooners team that can play play good on the offensive side of the ball, but I just can't see them keeping up offensively. That and everybody's talking about Lincoln Riley, and, and you know I think he's a good coach. I think he may potentially, like it or not, you know, end up being Dallas's next coach at this point in time, but. You know, in the grand scheme of things, I think a coach that gets lost a lot of times is off a lot of people's radar is actually Ed Orgeron. But I'm telling you, Daryl, Ed can coach. This team he's put together this year is pretty pretty impressive. I don't think he I don't think Coach O gets the, the respect that he deserves. You remember wasn't he the USC coach for a while? He was USC's coach for a while, wasn't he? Or their interim. Yeah, an interim, I believe. He was their interim. You, man, damn, you have, you, USC could sure use him now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I like what he's doing. I think, he, I think he's good, man. And I think he may very well out-coach Lincoln Riley in the playoff game as well. So, you know, as much as I think Oklahoma's a compelling story and... You know, people are intrigued with Lincoln Riley, and, you know, people want to see Jalen Hurts uh, win and be successful. I think I think that uh, that train ends, you know, at the, uh, at the Orange Bowl for these guys. Or the Peach Bowl, sorry. The train ends at the Peach Bowl for Oklahoma. How much... And here's my thing I'm going to say about Jalen Hurts and what we all need to acknowledge about Jalen Hurts. What a freaking winner. He's going to be in four straight college football playoffs. Four straight college football playoffs. Talk about how special that is, just as an individual, on different teams. Well, you know, I think that... um Anytime that you have an opportunity to go to Alabama and potentially play quarterback, you're already special. Now, in his case, he was able to do it, and he started a couple of those years. You know, he got replaced, um, obviously, in that, the second half of that championship game against Georgia. But, no, he, uh, he had his opportunity to win. Um... And then, I, you know, how he manages to come back last year, SEC championship game, and, and just make sure in the closing minutes of that game that he manages to lift Alabama to another playoff berth. And then he goes to Oklahoma this year and starts and gets them there. I mean, that's impressive. The guy is solid. He's got heart. And even though he's not as talented as the, the Joe Burrows of the world, uh, the, the Trevor Lawrence's of the world. I think there's going to be NFL teams that are interested in this guy. I'm not sure that Jalen Hurts is going to be ever be able to be a starter in the NFL, but I think he's going to find some way to make a meaningful contribution to a team. 
And my last question for you, Ben. Eat crow on Utah, Ben. Eat crow. Tell us about Utah. Well, I thought that they were going to show up on Friday night uh, when the Pac-12 championship happened in the Bay Area. I thought that they would recognize that this was their opportunity to potentially end the skid of not making the playoffs for the Pac-12 and get the Pac-12 back into national relevance. I it never in my wildest dreams, Daryl, did I imagine that the Oregon Ducks were going to be more physical on both lines of scrimmage. And and to be honest, I was I was pretty shocked. Oregon just pounded them. They dominated both lines. They won all the battles in the trenches, and yeah, Justin Herbert played pretty well too, and and that definitely helped. And I just, I don't know, you know, it was raining out there, and it looked to me like Tyler Huntley and that offense, they they just they never never even got started. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate you coming on the show. Before you leave, really quickly, tell us. Texas A&M, what's your grade on the Texas A&M season? What's my grade? Yes. Oh, man. Um, I'm going to have to give them a grade of a C. I'll bump it to a B minus, though, if they can beat Oklahoma State in the bowl game. But right now, C to me means you, you are average. And that is pretty much the kind of season that they've had. Um, they beat the teams that they were expected to beat and lost against the teams, you know, that, that they weren't expected to beat. They played Georgia a little bit tougher than I thought that they might, but then they really went out and they laid an egg against LSU. So, you know, see, I'm hoping the next year we can be up in A or B because we paid Jimbo Fisher a lot of money. Ben, thank you again for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Ah, anytime, Daryl. Thanks for having me. And coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, I'm going to give some of my most memorable sports moments of the 2010s. Coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. Once again, I want to thank Karen Hosts of Sports Squabbler Podcast for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, right, 2010 to 2020. Uh, really memorable time for me, especially, right? Uh, it formed a lot of my formative years. Uh, a lot of uh, really uh, growing up and maturing. I mean, you got to think about it. And I was talking to my friend, uh, Jason Cavari, friend of the show. Um, 2010, right? In the year 2010, 2009 to 2010, what was Daryl Lane doing? Let's go back in time. Like, tick-tock, tick-tock, all the way back in time. Yeah, I was in sixth grade. If my math searched correctly, I was 11 years old. I was a chubby little middle schooler. Uh, I thought I was going to play in the NFL. <laughs> uh, now, go all the way back, fast forward the clock back, tick-tock, 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 right? 2020. I am going to be a senior in college, and I'm 21. That is such a long time, and you would not think that that much life goes by in just a decade, but it does, and it goes by fast. I can remember going to orientation at Amherst Middle School like it was yesterday. Like, it's just so crazy. You know, starting middle school at the beginning of the decade, I'm ending college at the end of the decade. So much life. You have high school jammed in between, right? Uh, very interesting decade, a lot of memories, a lot of stories, uh, but a lot of sports stories too, because this is also when I really started getting into sports. So biggest moment, 
Let's start with number one. I'm going to go with Lakers versus Celtics 2010. When I started getting into basketball, when I started truly getting into sports, Kobe Kobe Bryant versus Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett versus Pau Gasol, Rajon Rondo versus Derek Fisher, Ray Allen versus Ron Artest. You had all these great matchups. Seven games, Doc Rivers versus Phil Jackson. Uh... An iconic seven game. I remember I was watching game seven in my dad's uh, little workshop that we have uh, downstairs. And we used to have a TV in there. And I remember I was watching. I was watching Kobe have 15 rebounds as a guard, have 23 points, shooting awful percentage, but finding a way to get it done. Uh, And Ron Artest coming up big with 23 points, I believe. And that game going down close to the wire and being a very low scoring, grinded out game seven. So I remember that. Now, next, when the Bills make the playoffs in 2017, and I believe that ended up being the night of New Year's 2 a couple years ago, I remember I was watching with my guy, uh, a good friend of mine, Patrick Stein, and I almost went to tears. I'm like, we're going to the playoffs. The Buffalo Bills are going to the playoffs for the first time in my damn lifetime. I am so freaking excited. Because I believe, actually, when the last time they made the playoffs was the Music City Miracle, and I was probably about a toddler now, one, two years old. But I was so happy in my adult lifetime, in my viewing sports lifetime, where I can really uh, compartmentalize and, and realize what's going on. The Buffalo Bills are in the playoffs. I was so excited. Number three, Patriots come back in the Super Bowl against the Atlanta Falcons in 2016. Now, this this is a very interesting, uh, this is very interesting for a multitude of reasons. I was sitting, and, I, and I've told this story before, right? Sitting in my dorm room, um, my roommate, Dom Devine, he's in there too, but I'm really watching the Super Bowl, right? And the Patriots are up, uh, excuse me, the Falcons are up 20-3, and I'm doing all this stuff. The dynasty's over. Tom Brady looks old. I was looking back at old Snapchat memories. I'm like, this reminds me of the Denver Broncos-Seattle Seahawks Super Bowl when the Denver Broncos got obliterated by the Seattle Seahawks in uh, 2013, right? That's what it reminded me of. And you want to know what happened after that? I saw Tom Brady pull off the greatest comeback I've ever seen with my own two eyes. And I gave Tom Brady the greatest deference and respect you can give any man. Five Super Bowl rings at the time, right? And I said, he is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. He's the greatest football player I've ever seen. He is the most clutch human being I've ever seen in sports. And I will never, as a Buffalo Bills fan, as a Buffalonian, you know, we're taught New Yorker, we're taught to hate Boston, right? Hate Tom Brady, hate Bill Belichick, hate the hate the hoodie, hate the dynasty. But you want to know what? I can have nothing for respect after that. Because that's greatness personified. Then gets the ball in overtime, drives it down, and wins. Now, number four on that list, LeBron's decision, decision in 2010. Now, what's so important about this, too, is this really changed sports at the beginning of the decade, right? LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh most hated team in sports, most controversial team in sports, even more hated, in my opinion, than the 2018-2019 Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant that uh, that won multiple championships, right? Excuse me, that won three championships. Uh, two. Two championships went to three finals. Even more hated than those Warriors, right? So I, I think it also set up, right, LeBron James, Dallas Mavericks Series 2011, uh, when LeBron James choked, averaged 17 points in the NBA Finals, had eight points in an NBA Finals game, set up a lot of stuff for LeBron James to rise from the ashes and become the most dominant basketball player and one of the most dominant athletes of the decade. Now, number five, I'm going to go Floyd Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao, 2015. It happened the highly anticipated uh, fight. Right? You see Floyd Mayweather be a magician in the ring. Pacquiao can't hit him. There's so much controversy afterwards. Uh, Pacquiao saying that uh, he tore his rotator cuff, couldn't hit Floyd. You have Floyd talking smack after the game, after the the boxing bout. But really one of the most anticipated fights of my lifetime uh, of combat sports. And then this gets to number six. Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor. Now what made this so exciting is I remember this was... Uh, my going to my sophomore year of college, so 2016, 2017, I believe, right? Uh, and, and I remember this like it was yesterday, right? So we just drop off my brother who goes to this art school in Chicago, right? We just drop him off. I'm with my mom and my Aunt Gina, right? I'm with my mom and my Aunt Gina. We're all watching it, and my mom, and I actually remember this other, because I think my mom was like, 
a little sick or something and then she's just sitting down and it looked all cute when she's just sitting down she's just dangling her little feet because she's so small and like she's just sitting down watching the fight with a smile or with just no no care in the world and i gina's just there just oh, just coaching her through it. It, it it was it was really funny but anyway Watch the fight. I watch Floyd Mayweather walk down Conor McGregor with his hands, and then he is literally boxing Conor McGregor up in the face over and over and over again. And at first, I was like, damn. I was like, Floyd Floyd looks like he can't fight anymore. Then he walked down Conor McGregor and uh, really beat the tar out of him. Now, here where I'm going to go with number seven. I'm going to go with the Golden State Warriors 2017. Kevin Durant leaves the Oklahoma City Thunder, goes to the Golden State Warriors, creates a modern-day dynasty. Here's what this does. This changes the landscape. This creates a super team. This is what makes, this is like the cheat code to the game that makes everything unfair. You have a back-to-back -back MVP in Steph Curry. You have a defensive player of the year in Draymond Green. You have one of the best two-way players in the NBA in Klay Thompson. Like, hey, let's add the second-best player in the NBA to our team. And the only player that can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with LeBron, one-on-one. -on -one, and you do it. And you go 15-1 and one that postseason. 15-1. and one. Now, there have been other great moments for me, personally, as a sports fan. Uh, so many to name, right? I can remember some just off the top of my head, some honorable mentions. I'll I'll go. I remember when Darren De'Aaron Fox lit up Lonzo Ball in the NCAA championships. Deshaun Watson's comeback against the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, to win a championship. So many great sports moments. So many great stories. Right of this decade. So much to tell. And uh, I'm just and also uh, Malcolm Butler's interception of Russell Wilson, the Seattle Seahawks, not running the ball. Giving Tom Brady and Bill Belichick their fourth Super Bowl. So much of this decade. I uh, just wanted to share some memorable sports moments uh, for me. And if you guys have any memorable sports moments you want to share, uh, you can email me, ddlane2013 at gmail.com. Right? If you, there's some uh, stories that you want to tell me, and I'll share them on the podcast too. Uh, but I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. It's the 111th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. The next time, we will have a special Christmas Day podcast. It's already been pre-recorded. Uh, it's with me and Jason Kavari. going to give you a little bit of a preview. It's going to get into kind of like that sentimental stuff that we're talking about right now of the decade. It's going to be NBA specialized since, right, Christmas time. It's NBA, like I said. And we're going to talk about... The NBA throughout the decade, me and Jason, we're going to talk about things going through as middle schoolers, the high schoolers, to now college kids, and uh, big moments like the Cavs 2016, right? Jason's a Cavs fan from uh, Youngstown, a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. So it's going to be a lot really interesting, and uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting uh, listen for all of, you, uh, all of you out there. Once again, I want to thank Ben Karen, host of the Sports Squabbler Podcast, for coming on the show. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.